Amen, guys. We're going to go ahead and get started. We are, uh, it's about 10.10 right now. We need to be done by about 10.45. But this is our class about anxiety. Dealing with anxiety in a godly way. And the, the theme of this weekend is in his steps. So uh, as we look at anxiety and as we look at uh, worrying, we're going to look at how Jesus dealt uh, with anxiety. And how we should in turn deal with anxiety. I'm going to start us off, start us off with a word of prayer. And then uh, basically the, the structure is I'm going to share some uh, kind of theoretical, uh, theological ideas about this. And then Stephen's going to hit you with the practicals. So we'll just go back and forth like that so you guys get a well-rounded view of how to deal with anxiety. Amen? Let's uh, go to God in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your love, for your goodness. Thank you so much for uh, being with us and giving us a chance to be in a relationship with you. I pray that you can uh, move Stephen and I aside this morning and uh, just let your word impact the hearts in this room. I love you. I thank you for this time now. In your son Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. First Peter, chapter 5. This is kind of the theme scripture we're going to be using this morning. And it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You. This is an awesome scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. It's one of those scriptures that you read when you do feel anxious. It's one of those scriptures that when you're feeling worried, you're feeling upset about something, you can go to this scripture and you can read it and you can think, okay, this is something that I want to do. The anxieties that I have, I do not want to have them any longer. The anxieties that I have, Jesus says that I can just cast them on him. Whatever baggage and burden that your anxiety might cause, Jesus says, take that bag off and throw it on me. I will take it. I will carry it for you. But when I read a scripture like this, and you guys can, hopefully you, you agree with me or can relate with me. When I read a scripture like this, it doesn't really give me a, a practical sense of how to do it. Like when I read that, I think, awesome. Jesus, yes, thank you for for taking my burdens, for, for allowing me to cast my anxieties on you. But then I think about it and I say, how in the world do I do that though? What does that mean? What does it look like to take your anxieties and to cast them on Jesus? And that's what we want to talk about today. Go to the book of 1 John. I want to start off, this is my first point, is God is greater than our hearts. In 1 John chapter 3. <coughs> 1 John 3, 19. God is greater than our hearts. It reads, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. In dealing with, in dealing with anxiety... We must first come to the conclusion that anxiety is not a fact. It is not a truth. It is not a concrete, immovable thing. Anxiety is a feeling. It is involuntary and it is fickle. It comes and goes. It's all in the mind and all in the heart. The other day, 
uh, had a, I had a little scare. My mom called me at 2 in the morning. And in my mind, if somebody calls me uh, after midnight for any reason, I'm, I'm immediately thinking it's an emergency, right? There's no reason to call anybody after midnight unless there's an emergency. So my phone is ringing, and it's my mom, and immediately I think, oh my God, somebody in my family has died. Somebody, like, either my brother got in a car accident, my sister choked in her dorm room, something, something happened, and immediately my heart dropped. And I answer the phone, and my mom says, Perry, you need to come to the emergency room right now. So then my heart drops even further. Oh my gosh. Somebody did die. Something horrible has happened. And she says, your dad is confused. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? So I'm like, what does that mean? She's like, he can't remember what day it is. Uh, Basically, he he, he has no short-term memory. He keeps asking the same questions over and over and over again. And my dad had beat cancer a few years back. And, uh, you know, I got in the car and I was was just shaking. Shaking because my father's mortality is not something I often think about. Like my dad in my mind, I'm, I'm too young for my dad to die anytime soon. Right now he's this immortal person, this thing that is going to be in my life for a very long time, at least until he sees my kids and hopefully my grandkids and hopefully my great-grandkids if that's, you know, what the Lord has planned. But I'm sitting in the car, I'm driving to the emergency room and I am shaking and I have this deep fear, this deep worry, this deep anxiety in my heart and in my mind. And I'm thinking and I'm praying and I'm like, okay, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, but no matter what's happening, I cannot stop myself from shaking. My body is having this involuntary reaction to the fear and anxiety that I, that I had. And uh, luckily it wasn't cancer or anything like that. Uh, we got to the emergency room. My dad's asking the same questions over and over again for about four hours. Uh, but it ends up wearing off. The next morning he doesn't remember the night, but he remembers everything else in the world. So it was like this really weird memory thing that happened to him. Doctor said there's nothing we can do about it. There are no symptoms. He's fine. It shouldn't happen again. But it was one of the scariest moments of my life. And as I was going through that ordeal, I remember thinking to myself, man, this anxiety is very hard to rein in. And a scripture like this, it really comforts me because what I want you to realize is that when you become a Christian, you're not supposed to then ignore your feelings, right? You're not supposed to be Christian robots. We all have feelings and you have to acknowledge the feelings that you have. And so when you have anxiety, you need to acknowledge it. You need to understand that it's there and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is. It's what your heart and mind will go to when you're afraid. But this scripture, it says when our hearts condemn us like that, we need to realize that God is greater than our hearts. That when we make Jesus Lord, what we decide to do is we decide to deal with our feelings in a godly way. You see, once you become a Christian, it doesn't, it no longer matters necessarily how you feel. And oftentimes we can think, well, because I feel this thing, I should do this thing. But you are not your feelings. You are a Christian. You are someone who has said that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And I love the scripture because it mentions that when we know we belong to truth, to the truth that when we are Christians, It can set our hearts at rest to understand that Jesus is greater than our feelings. He's greater than our hearts. He's bigger than than our hearts. And that means that regardless of how you feel, we can decide to react 
in a godly way. Regardless of how we feel, we can decide to do what God wants us to do. And again, I'm not saying that you should ignore your feelings, but you should understand that God is greater. And we see this example in Jesus in the garden. Matthew 26, 26. <clears throat> oh, sorry, Matthew 26, 36. We see Jesus in the garden, and he is feeling, you know, the first thing he does, he, he opens up to the brothers. Hey, look, I am feeling sorrowful to the point of death. Stay here, keep watching with me. This guy knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be, his friends were going to turn away from him. He knew that he was going to be tortured brutally. He knew that he was going to be uh, crucified on the cross. He knew that he was going to be separated from God. That had never happened before and it would never happen again. And we see him in the garden crying, uh, sweating blood. Really acknowledging the fact that he's anxious. In fact, he's praying to God about it. He says, listen, Father, listen, Dad, I really don't want to go through with this. I really don't feel good about what's about to happen. I am feeling sorrowful to the point of death. I am shaking. Blood is coming out of my head even though I'm not injured. Why is this happening? I'm really struggling right now. We see Jesus wrestling in the garden with his anxiety, but what is his answer? What is his response? He realizes that God is greater than his feelings. He's greater, and he says, but your will be done. But your will be done. I know I'm feeling this way, and I'm really having it right now. I'm crying in the garden, and there is a time to do that. And Stephen's going to go through those practicals. There's a time to acknowledge your feelings, to acknowledge your anxiety. But once you acknowledge them, you need to then deal with your feelings in a godly way, respond as Jesus would respond. Understand that Jesus is Lord. Whatever Jesus, however he moves forward, that's how you should move forward. You are not dictated by your feelings, but you should be dictated by the word of God, by scripture, by his will. And Stephen's going to give us some practicals on this. All right, so... My name is Stephen LePerry said, and it's funny how God sometimes makes you talk about the things that you struggle with. Um, one of the things that I have to deal with constantly is anxiety. Um, not because I'm typically an anxious person, but just because sometimes the reasons I'm anxious overcome the reasons I shouldn't be anxious. And so when we talk about God being greater than our hearts, what we need to do is so first of all, prayer about that, and then be open about what's going on inside of us. Um, there's a study that was done by this guy called Walter, Dr. Walter, his name was Dr. Walter Cavill. He said that 40%, well his findings were that 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% of our worries concern the past. 12% of our worries are needless worries about our health, 10% of our worries are insignificant and petty. And we have spent over 92% of our emotional energies over things that won't happen or that we can't change. Mm. That's crazy. That's staggering to me because that's our life. You know, that's how we live life. And, and this was people from all walks of life. And so I want you guys to see that the first thing we must do in terms of anxiety overall is to prayer. We have to prayer about our anxiety. So for each of these um, practicals I'll give you, I'll tell you, we want to prayer and then do something else. So for this first one, God is greater than our hearts, we need to prayer and be open. One of the very 
uh, one of the things that's helped me to be open is to keep a journal. How many of you keep a journal? That's a lot of people. I didn't think that was a thing. No, I'm kidding. It is a thing. But you should keep a journal and you should keep it often. Because as you guys know, when you keep a journal, sometimes you hesitate to write the things that you know you should write. Does that ever happen? You hesitate and, and it's, it's in that moment you know that what you hesitated to write is real. Yeah. Yeah. And it helped me because I was raised in the Caribbean and our culture is significantly different from the one here. You know, when we watch TV and we see people kissing the kids at night and putting them to bed, we laugh because that's not really a thing. Our culture is a lot more, is a lot more stoic, a lot more emotionally rigid. And so I grew up with this thing in my head about emotions and expressing emotions being a show of weakness. And so coming to Christ and seeing that I had things in my heart that I either didn't want to express or didn't want to acknowledge was hard to deal with. And for me, I had to get to a point where I was starting to journal, and I got a lot of help with uh, that from people around me and people who did it, and also starting to be very open with brothers in my life. And sometimes, in some cases, even sisters. Uh, we're all disciples in this walk together. And so I feel like one of the things we can do besides praying is be open. I know uh, the Bible talks about in James, you know, confessing your sins one to another. One of the things that will get us anxious is how we deal with sin in our lives. Mm -hmm. yep. It happens often, you know. It can be any sin. When it grips your heart, Satan wants you to keep it in there. Wants you not to be open about it so that he can trick you into being anxious about it. And then you find yourself tumbling down a slippery slope of anxiety, guilt, and your heart. What does the scripture say? Your heart condemns you. Yeah. And that's exactly where we don't need to be. God is greater than your heart. But the only way that you will be able to see him conquer what your heart is telling you is if you acknowledge what's going on in your heart. If you are open with yourself if you are truthful about how you really feel, if you are willing to discuss with people in your lives what's going on on the inside, take walks with, with God and not only just prayer, but think about things. Why did I feel that way when this brother told me that? What did I feel, what was really happening when this sister acted like this towards me? Think about it. And then don't only think about it, write it. Write it down, let it come out. When you hesitate to write it, you know, I need to write this. Yeah. And then after you write it, go talk to somebody about it. Say, hey, listen, I, I, mean, I know it's... It, do you guys let people read your journals generally? I feel like no. Right? <laughs> I was thinking about that because since I've started journaling, when, well, when I first started journaling, a lot of the things in my journal I feel like were very private. I don't want people to see. But... I feel pretty confident that I can give any one of you my journal and be like, hey, this is that's my life. And even though there are some things in it that will probably surprise you or may not even surprise you, I feel like my life would be an open book revealed because that's who I am. You know, when, when people see our lives openly is when we know we don't have things to hide and be. Uh, there's a lot of the pressure that comes with keeping things inside is dissipated. So prayer and be open, that's the, the remedy that I have found for 
God be murdered in your heart. Amen. Bro. Continue praying. Thank you, Stephen. <clears throat> I think uh, even on that point, I did want to add a little bit about this, and this goes into my next point, and that is that if God is not greater than our hearts, that means that our hearts and our feelings are greater than God. If I was not a Christian, I think I come from a pretty uh, anxious family. My mom is an anxious woman. My dad's not really anxious at all. Um, and I think I, I play like my dad, but I feel more like my mom. Like, if you were to watch my life, I don't seem anxious. You would never know that I'm anxious. But um, if, if I wasn't a Christian, though, I feel like I'd be a nervous wreck. Right. I mean, I used to run track. Before track meet, man, my, I would be so nervous that my arms and legs would fall asleep. That's how nervous I would be. That doesn't even make sense. How do you run when your arms and legs are asleep? I somehow made it happen, but I wouldn't, able to, I wouldn't be able to eat meals beforehand. When I first started preaching, man, if somebody told me, hey, you're preaching in three weeks, I'd be like, oh, my God. And every meal I would sit down, and you know how sometimes you're super hungry, you're about to eat, you're like, I'm about to eat this food, it's about to be so good. And then, and, then, and then you think about something, and you get anxious, and it's like, oh, my God. And you just absolutely lose your appetite. That would happen to me. And I look at my food, and I'm like, I'm going to eat that so bad, but I don't, and i got to preach in a month, and I just... <laughs> It, it would mess me up, and I, I would really have to, like, turn myself into God, and, and it's not even anxiousness, right? A lot of times we think that our feelings, in general, are bigger than God. Like, our romantic feelings, man, I feel so strongly about that girl or that brother that we just completely throw our convictions out of the window because we want to pursue those feelings. But our feelings are just feelings, and God gave them to us for a reason, to be a catalyst, but he did not intend for our feelings to dictate who we are and what we do. And I think uh, the scripture in 1 Peter gives us uh, another clue into how to make sure that God is greater than our hearts, how to make sure that we are not anxious all the time. And the first thing it says is to humble yourselves. This is my second point. Humility comes first. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humbling yourself is the first step to casting your anxieties on God. Anxiety, in particular, is the feeling that comes when you do not have control over a situation. So you worry and you fear. For the Christian, this largely comes about because even though Jesus is in control of our lives and God has a plan, we like to be in control of everything. But we have to let go of the wheel if we don't want to be anxious. Right. Anxiety for the Christian comes about when we do not trust God. Let me say that again. Anxiety for the Christian comes about when we do not trust God. You know, humility is relinquishing control. It is understanding that you are small, faulty, weak, incapable of controlling anything. When we humble ourselves and let God be God, anxiety loses its control over us. When we humble ourselves and let God be God, anxiety loses its control over us. Philippians chapter 2. You, you all know this scripture. But again, I want to look at how Jesus dealt with things. And this is one of the first things that Jesus did. Philippians 2.5. Your attitude... Again, we're talking about following Jesus' steps, right? Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, Jesus was humble because even though he knew what the cross was going to hold, and even though he knew it wasn't going to be something that he would necessarily enjoy, he knew it was going to be something that was terrible, and I I do think what we see in the garden, he has some apprehension about it, some anxiousness about it, but he understood that God's plan was greater. And that if he humbled himself to God's plan, that God would come through in the end. But see, that's the problem. When we want to control things, when we want to be God in our lives, we don't have the power to do that. We don't have the, the, the majesty. We don't have the kind of sovereignty that God has to control things. So as I was sitting in that car and as I was shaking, what I was thinking was, even if it is God's will for my father to have some brain tumor and die in the next few months or even weeks or maybe this is like the final signs of it. I mean I, like I said I'm a I'm an anxious dude so my mind was going you know real far real fast I was thinking this is it man I gotta get my goodbyes ready but I'm sitting there and I'm shaking and I'm thinking man there's absolutely nothing I can do about this you know when we don't humble ourselves God will humble us when we try to play God and play God and play God, we're going to run up into God's sin. And God's going to look at us like, I tried to tell you to stop. I tried to tell you that my plan was better. That the d- direction I'm going is the only direction that will work. And when we understand that, God, and when we really trust God, the anxiety dissipates. Because we realize we don't need to have the strength. We don't need to be in control. And if we really trust God, we understand that he has our best interest at heart. Now, I'm not saying that everything is going to be flowers and sunshine. I'm not saying that everything is going to go your way. I'm saying that you might have to go through some hard stuff in your life. But I'm saying you don't have to be anxious about those hard things. And even when you are anxious about those hard things, you can still, your heart can be at rest because you understand that God is in control. And whenever hard things might come, God is making you into the person that he wants you to be. Strong and close to him and like his son. I want to ask you this question. In what area of your life do you lack trust in God? In what areas of your life do you decide to take things into your own hands? It says, humble yourself and God will lift you up in due time. But we have to trust that God's plan is better. And we trust that our anxiety will dissipate because we know that God has everything under control. Yeah, um, even as Perry was talking about that, it made me realize something. What's the opposite of humility? Yeah, that's, that's, where, the, that's where the root is, right? That's where the root really is. Um, a bit of pride in ourselves, thinking that our plan is probably better than God's plan. A practical for our humility, prayer and let God use you. You guys ever see that bumper sticker, uh, God is my co-pilot? It's pretty... I, 
I think it's silly. Because in the world of aviation, God would be the inventor of a plane, the guy who fuels it, the engineer, the person who, who, who flies the plane. He'd be everything, you know? So God can't be your co-pilot. It's impossible. He, he has to be the pilot, and you have to be assisting him if you call yourself a disciple, if you really want to see his plan work. If God is to use you, you have to cede control in your life to God. One of the things that um, we really do need to inspect in our lives is how we serve. Do we allow God to use us? <coughs> Think about it. Do I allow God to use me on a day-by-day -day basis? You know, it's easy to serve being a disciple and brother gives you a pat on the back. Thanks for helping me out with my garden, man. You are the best. You are the most awesome disciple ever. The brothers or, or the sisters uh, help somebody else babysitting. Oh, thank you, brother. You're so awesome. Thank you, sister. You're so awesome. You helped me get the kids. And that's, it feels good, right? If you serve and that happens. But how do you respond when you serve and people take advantage of you? People mistreat you. They don't appreciate what you're doing for them. And it feels like abuse. What's your response then? Are you still going to have a spiritual response to God using you? Praying and letting God use you will make sure that you are not anxious because you feel like your plan is better, but you stay focused on what He wants you to do in your life. That anxiety is sometimes just the filler for a cavity in our hearts that needs to be filled with, with God's plan. Pray and let God use you. That's a short one. Amen. And I, and I do want to add, you know, he, he talked about serving. And I think that is one of the primary ways to humble yourself. Is to really get down, and, and this is going to go into my next point, but the idea of not thinking about your own needs in your own life for once. The idea of taking yourself and pointing it outwards rather than pointing inwards. I honestly think that's why Jesus was able to go to the cross. And as I look at that scripture in Matthew 26, and as I look at Jesus struggling and wrestling in the garden, I think to myself, if that was me, I wouldn't have done it. I would not have done it. And I, as I read the account of the cross, when these guys falsely accuse him, and they take him into the synagogue, and, and they start spitting on him and punching him, and slapping him. Like, I, didn't, I wouldn't even need to get to the flogging part, right? As soon as somebody would spit on me, and I'm Jesus with all of the power of the universe inside of me, I would have, like, snapped, and that person who spit, his head would have exploded. <laughs> and then I would have looked out and looked at anyone else and said, who else would like to do something like that? <laughs> I'm God. But Jesus was not thinking about himself. He was not thinking about how it was hurting him or what he was going through. He was thinking about others. That was him humbling himself. But more than that, it was Jesus having a kingdom perspective. And that's my third point. Having a kingdom perspective. Matthew 6. We all know the scripture. Uh, and this is the typical scripture that uh, we run to uh, when we do feel worried. It's the Sermon on the Mountain Jesus is preaching about, do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I'm going to stop right there before I go on, because, when I, again, when I read a scripture like this, and Jesus is saying, hey, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Do you think, do you think I'm going to let this happen or that happen? But I, I still read them think, well, thanks, Jesus, for telling me not to worry. Thank you. It doesn't help when I'm worrying. You know, it's like when you're afraid and somebody says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm like, that doesn't help me. Teach me what to do to get rid of the fear. Teach me what to do to get rid of the worrying. If you just tell somebody, hey, stop doing something, that typically, usually doesn't work. And that's why I, I used to have a gripe with this scripture right here because I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, Jesus, thank you. I appreciate the advice. I appreciate even the command. And it can feel kind of difficult because it is a command. He's saying, guys, look, as Christians, we should not be worried. And I get angry when I read this because I'm like, well... You made me worry. You made me a little scrawny person that can't do nothing. I don't like relying on you. I like doing what I want to do. I like being in control. But then he gives us the key here. Right in the middle of the scripture. It says, The pagans chase after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our perspective changes everything in life. Nine times out of ten, we lack trust in God because we are more focused on ourselves than on Him, His righteousness, and His kingdom. Think about it. Think about the primary things that you worry about. You worry about your grades. You worry about your success. You worry about your future jobs and your future careers. You worry about if that boy is going to like you or if that girl is going to like you or if that relationship that you're in is going to work. You worry about your future husband and wives. You worry about uh, how you're going to sound or how you're going to look or what you're going to wear. As the scripture said, what you're going to eat. You're worried about you, 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 and you. Our perspective in life is so narrow. It is so focused on ourselves. But when we change our perspective, when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, God promises to take care of all of the small stuff. I want to read this. Go to, uh, go to Luke 10. I love this scripture. 
And it's literally a picture-perfect image of someone who is so focused on themselves or someone who is focused on Jesus. Luke 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about Many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was so distracted by all the small stuff, didn't even realize that the creator of the universe had come to her house. That the God of God and King of Kings was there and that all she needed to do in life was to sit at his feet. Like that's it right there, guys. That is the ultimate goal of life is to be with Jesus. To be with God and sit at his feet. That is the conclusion of everything. That is what heaven is. Literally, she had heaven in her living room that day. Jesus, come, Emmanuel, God with us, was in her room, and yet she wasn't focused on that. She was running around doing all kinds of stuff, worrying about how her house looked, or how her clothes looked, or how the food tasted, but she didn't realize that the only thing that mattered was Jesus, and how much more do we run around trying to figure out how good the house looks, or what the food tastes like, or, or the clothes we're wearing, or what Jesus is going to think. No, you need to be focused on just being with Jesus. You need to be focused on just building his kingdom. You see, when we're focused on those things, our anxieties dissipate because we only truly care about that. Now, Stephen brought up a good point earlier. When there is sin in your life, it directly hinders the advancement of the kingdom of God. So if you're anxious about sin in your life, well, you should be anxious. And you should let it get to you because you are guilty and you need to confess that sin and you need to get it out. And you need to make sure that Jesus is overcoming that sin in your life. But beyond the point of sin, we've got to be focused on the kingdom. The jobs that we have, their goal is not to get you money, not to put food on the table. It's to glorify the Lord Christ. The things that you do in your everyday life, it's all to be with God and to glorify him. Look, when you change your perspective on life and when it becomes a kingdom perspective, we realize what is better. I love how that scripture says that Mary has chosen what is better. Anxiety comes because we're too focused on ourselves, not enough on God. But when we are focused on God, there is no anxiety because we know that he is with us in handling absolutely everything. My question to you guys today is where are you placing your focus? 
Are you focused on the world or are you focused on the kingdom? Steve's going to give some practicals and I'll close this out. So if you're taking notes, you can probably write something like this. Does my life revolve around me being a servant of God? Because when you, if you are anxious about these things like Perry is talking about, praying and planning ahead spiritually will help these things to fall into the background. You see, when, when somebody's coming to Christ because of this, the sacrifice that you've made to go and study the Bible with them or to help them spiritually, you don't worry about what you look like. You know? When somebody's getting baptized, you don't care what kind of shoes you have on. It doesn't matter. Those things fade into the background. Prayer and plan ahead. Now, I don't want to leave the impression from the second point that when God uses us, it makes life so that we have no plans because that's erroneous. Uh, Proverbs talks about going to the ant and slugger, considering her ways and being wise. She doesn't have a king, overseer, ruler, but collects her food during the summer for the winter. We need to prayer and plan ahead. But do we do this with a spiritual mindset? Yeah. Does, it, does, does me being a disciple, does me following Christ dictate the decisions that I make from the times I take classes to the kind of job that I think I want? Because that's the essence of our life. And I guarantee you that when you make decisions like that, the superficial things will fall into the background. I'm a bad planner most of the times, and I have been getting some help with that. So I need to confess that I, too, get anxious about things when it looks like they aren't going to work out. But that's usually because they just have a plan ahead. It's not because like, things couldn't work out or, or because uh, there was some impossible situation, but I simply didn't take the time to spiritually sit down Come up with a plan that would be effective and work and stick to it. Then you get to the, the, the dying moments, 10 minutes before, <laughs> before the lesson, and, and something crazy is going on because you haven't planned and you're anxious. But why? It could have all been avoided if you prayed and planned ahead. And we need to be like that. So adding to the second point about letting God use us, I want us to consider making plans to let God use you. Every week, go through the week in your mind before it happens and think, what am I doing in my week to serve Christ? What's going to happen this week in my life that I can look back and say, and say, God, I have served you the best I could this week. I have done all I could to serve you. Not from a legalistic point of view, but just simply because it is the remedy for any anxiety you can have. Yeah. And it will help you. And it will help others, more importantly. Yeah. Praying and planning ahead. You want to bring it back in for a crash land? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to mention this. Uh, I do want to throw out there, like, I'm not telling you to just, you know, leave your jobs behind and, you know, stop going to school and stop studying and just, you know, just focus on like Bible studies and stuff like that. Obviously, I'm not saying that. 
But what I am saying is that even when you are doing your schoolwork, even when you're all working at your jobs, like if your goal in your mindset is to glorify God, then you will be successful. Does that make sense? Like if your perspective is on building the kingdom, on, you know, working so hard that your coworkers see you and your classmates see you and they think to themselves, why in the world do you work so hard? Why in the world are you a straight A student? Why in the world, if you're not a straight A student, do you give all your time and effort to really uh, uh, doing so well in these subjects? You say, because Jesus is my Lord. Because I'm not doing this for my own success. I'm not doing this for my own career path. No, I'm doing this so that you might see it and know that there is a God in heaven. That my superiors might see it and know that there is a God in heaven. And that your lives may be changed. And that through the work that I do, the Lord himself will be glorified. That's what I mean by having a kingdom perspective. So don't leave here today and be like, hey, in that anxiety class, Perry told me to drop everything and just read my Bible all the time and I'll be straight. That's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to focus your minds and heart. Change the motive behind what you do. Because once we do that, we will understand that God is greater than our hearts. That we have to humble ourselves and understand that God is in control and will take you where you need to be. And in the end, if we have a kingdom perspective, our lives will be changed and anxiety will dwindle away. And we can have confidence that God is in control. Amen? Amen? To God be the glory. Thank you.